singularity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Singularity One on One. Singularity One on One is a regular podcast feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you may already know, my name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and as always, I will be the man with the questions. Today, my guest on the show would be Dmitry Itzkov. Dmitry is the founder and one of the organizers behind the Global Future 2045 Congress that was recently held in Moscow and the main person behind the civilian project Avatar. So without further ado, hi Dmitry and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. Hi Nicola. It's very nice to have you here. Thanks for taking time. So I don't want to uh, waste your time because I know you're very busy and let's just jump right into the interview here with the first question, which is, Dmitry, how did you get interested in technology in general and the technological singularity in particular? You know, uh, when I was uh, in the second year of my study uh, at the university, I launched my IT business, internet business. Mm-hmm. So you can say that... Uh, I was always very close to uh, science and new technology. And that, uh, I suppose, that fact also brought me to the 2045 and Avatar project. And and uh, what specifically in the concept behind the technological singularity grabbed your attention and inspired your imagination? You know, I wouldn't say that, uh, that, that it was technological singularity that inspired uh, me to do the 2045 uh, project to develop the 2045 idea. It was their uh, desire to be involved with uh, in something that can help people, help to develop uh, technology that can really change the humanity, not, you know, not only technological interests. I even uh, started uh, starting being interested in uh, this idea. I even didn't you what singularity was? Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So is it fair to say then that your motivation behind the project is kind of general humanitarian rather than technological or business or scientific? Uh, I would say that my uh, motivation is uh, completely humanitarian and science and business come further. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, they will be no no business in this project and definitely there will be much science in this project but uh, for me it is uh, most important that uh, we in the future reach uh, the result and uh, uh, make this technology real and uh, you know I would even be happy if somebody does it uh, for me not me personally. <laughs> well, that kind of very much reminds me to the main um, idea behind Singularity University, where the goal is to impact positively the life of a billion people within 10 years. Um, and of course, people are advised to accomplish that via self-sustaining entities such as companies, bringing in new technologies online and inventions and so on. But the, the ultimate idea is impact positively impacting the life of a billion people within 10 years. So uh, it, it seems like your goal is, is very similar indeed. My ultimate idea is to develop a new strategy for the humanity which can help people to uh, 
overcome all those crises that we face now, mm-hmm. face, we are facing now. Yeah, we are indeed living in a very volatile and turbulent time. Uh, so perhaps now is the best uh, place to move on to the purpose and the idea behind uh, your organizing of the Global Future 2045 conference. You know, my uh, main idea was to create a worldwide network of scientists and to draw attention to those very pres- uh, pressing issues um, for the humanity, like uh, development of the technologies, like uh, uh, variety of crises, like necessity to develop uh, a new uh, paradigm for the society. So I wanted to uh, initiate a global di- discussion and to make uh, to significantly incre- increase the number of scientists uh, that is involved in my project. Uh, that's why I uh, gathered people and what I wanted was to make their project really big and international. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, how did it unfold? I, I know that uh, the recent conference was organized in Moscow um, just a few weeks ago. I almost made it there were it not for a family emergency. I would have probably been there uh, because it sounded like a fantastic event. So, from your point of view as an organizer, was it a successful event? For me, you know, it, were, it was more than successful because there were many uh, people inside, many scientists, many new contacts, uh, good uh, di- uh, discussion after, and new ideas, new uh, new proposals to each other. I mean, uh, many scientists, some businessmen which attended the Congress. Mm-hmm. So... Um, their real network of avatar of uh, people who are interested in the future, mm-hmm. who uh, who want to make our world better, um, uh, this number of people uh, significantly increased uh, after the event, and that was the main uh, result for me. Yeah, and I can say for myself that I've been seeing a big impact in terms of public relations that that conference has had because I keep seeing your name and references to the conferences all over the place. Um, but let's uh, talk a little bit more about perhaps the most important project uh, or uh, goal of that conference, which is the so-called Project Avatar. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, uh, recently there was an announcement by the Pentagon that they are going to be investing $7 million uh, from this year's budget to creating a military project avatar. So, how is your project different than the uh, Pentagon project, or is it? You know, uh, what I did is I announced my avatar project during the Singularity Summit. Yeah, uh, I was there. I was there. I, I saw your speech. It was fantastic. Like a half, half a year ago. And uh, my uh, prim, uh, initial goal was to develop not a military project, but a project uh, which can uh, help people and do something for the civilian hands. So, um, although Pentagon uh, did much for such pre- uh, project uh, uh, to come true, 
Uh, I didn't find their ideas of uh, uh, having such robots and uh, uh, having such brain computer interface for military uh, purposes. I didn't find uh, I didn't find such idea of having such avatars um, like warriors. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like uh, to see in the future that uh, such technologies. Uh, would help disabled people, would help those who are quadriplegic or paraplegic, would um, help us to see perfect brain-computer interfaces for controlling robots for emergency situations. Uh, I would like to see uh, those people who, uh, who are blind and deaf and probably dumb, uh, you know, full uh, Members of our society mm -hmm. back back to life. I would like them back be back to life. Yeah, that very much goes to your humanitarian motivation, which is fantastic. I agree entirely with you. Such a powerful technology is dangerous to be adopted first in the military realm, uh, and it can actually have a serious uh, negative externalities. It it can it can hurt our civilization, perhaps in general. Um, so, how do you see your project um, in terms of uh, benchmarks or goals that you have placed into the future for the next decade, two or three? How do you see it unfolding? What are your goals and the steps that you will take? You know, the first step uh, is uh, human-like robot controlled by uh, brain-computer interface. And I think that... Uh, it is quite feasible in the next uh, five to seven years. What has not been done yet is uh, probably perfect energy supply for the avatar, which will make it uh, really autonomous. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably brain-computer interface, uh, which is at, at, at now level of at our level of technology is very simple and has a uh, little speed of data transfer. So uh, I, I see it uh, that uh, on the other hand, uh, much work has been done. Like uh, DARPA already has a bipedal robot running. Yeah. Some junior scientists uh, from Japan has a geminoid robot, and I would like to mention Professor who uh, is uh, far away from everybody in the uh, in the field of telepresence. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, I would uh, again uh, stress that uh, in, in the period from five to seven years, inventing such avatar is quite feasible yeah. because I know that many are concentrated now on such technology. achieve some intermediate goals uh, during development, uh, develop the development of that robot, like uh, producing perfect uh, artificial limbs for people, like uh, uh, dividing this project uh, into parts that can be realized earlier and start helping those people who need our help. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And what's the next step after you get the, the sort of step one of the avatar robot? You know, then uh, comes Avatar B, uh, <laughs> which will be based 
actually on the avatar A, but uh, the main point of the project is to build a life support system for the brain mm-hmm. and to connect it to avatar B uh, such a way that we would be able to transfer 100% data from avatar to our brain. And uh, the thing is that uh, develop, uh, developing such robots, such system for the brain and connecting them, we can uh, give new life to those people who are at the age of dying, who are uh, uh, absolutely paralyzed, like Stephen Hawking, for example, mm-hmm. who, uh, who really still have their personality, who, who really still have clear mind, but experience some serious problems with their health. Physical so, disabilities and so on, yeah. So we uh, will be able to develop something that will really save their personality, but uh, not uh, will link them to their hospital. Mm-hmm. Why the avatar will allow them to be uh, really free in our society. And what's more, I think that uh, avatar B will really help design, I mean, such ambitious goals will help science to go further in understanding how brain works and uh, probably uh, how consciousness works, works because, uh, you know, the effect of uh, telepresence uh, is something very interesting, that, uh, which uh, has to be studied more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. So then step two um, of what you just called Avatar B is expected to be within the next, what, 10, 20 years? Uh, you know, uh, actually, we can start connecting uh, our Avatar A as soon as it is developed uh, to their brain. So uh, the first stage uh, will be uh, in in parallel with the, the creating of avatar A process, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, what we also uh, have started is uh, getting proposals uh, from scientists how to really extend uh, the life of our brain and how to uh, produce a life support system for the brain. So uh, I would say that. Uh, a really uh, challenging task will be to transplant human's head and probably transplant human's uh, brain uh, to the avatar uh, A or, you know, probably there will be no need to transplant it because uh, if we have a stable connection, probably uh, body could stay in, in uh, the body, for example, of quadriplegic person could stay in bed and uh, mm-hmm. uh, person will, uh, will be able to operate their avatar. Um, yeah, that's... It sounds, uh, for many uh, science, scientists, it sounds uh, a little bit uh, contradictional to launch this project, but uh, for me it's uh, very important to discuss uh, ethical questions from the very beginning and to understand that uh, the, the science is here to help people, not to be blocked, you know, by uh, some some thoughts and some fears. We have uh, to uh, understand that uh, those people who, are, who suffer 
also need help. And what we need is to invest our uh, time and money and abilities to help them. And although it sounds controversial, I mean, transplanting brain, transplanting head, mm -hmm. even if it helps a uh, few people in the future, it, it's worth doing, I suppose. Yeah, and, and uh, I congratulate you on the on raising the ethical dimensions and issues that we must confront uh, as we are progressing towards, uh, you know, those goals. Uh, and just for the skeptics, I'd like to point out that I recently discovered that there was a very famous neurosurgeon in the 1960s called Professor White, uh, who in Ohio in 1961 and 1962 transplanted the, the, the head of an ape to another ape's body and was able, and actually I published a full documentary of that on my blog, um, mm -hmm. and actually was able to sustain an ape's brain alive outside of the, um, of the skull uh, for about 12 hours and run all those uh, sort of electromagnetic tests that usually are used in medicine to test whether people have consciousness or not w mm -hmm. when they are in coma, for example. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd like to say that it's been about 50 years since somebody actually did much of the work that you described in apes. Uh, and actually, he had a number of invitations from what was then the Soviet Union. And mm -hmm. there was some archival footage of uh, tests that uh, were done at that time uh, in, in the Soviet Union, mainly with dogs. And they had two-headed dogs. They had mm -hmm. uh, a dog head sustained alive um, without the body, basically with a machine. And that was 50 years ago. You know, I, I'm, I was going uh, to mention exactly that Soviet experiment. Experiment it was uh, actually the Russian scientist Professor Demikov who first transplanted a dog's head and uh, who first really showed that uh, such. Uh, process is absolutely real mm -hmm. and of course I'm aware of uh, uh, Dr. White's uh, research and uh, unfortunately he passed away yeah. in 2010 yeah. but uh, I think he showed uh, to everybody that uh, this project that I'm going to implement uh, now uh, is uh, was very uh, feasible nothing uh, unreal, just uh, the science is uh, uh, the sphere where we have to set up ambitious goals and uh, pay attention to them, uh, invest our time in them, and that will definitely lead us to some very good and efficient result. So, uh, of course, uh, transplanting humans' brain sounds a little bit strange for numerous people, but uh, and then, you know, even uh, Robert White sounded, uh, I would say, freaky for, <laughs> for most of the people, but uh, uh, still, uh, I suppose that if uh, such um, branch of research, if such direction of research um, become popular, uh, science would probably achieve fantastic result just in 
in a decade. And uh, we would probably be able to uh, eliminate uh, the problem of uh, totally paralyzed people. And mm -hmm. there's people who, for example, have uh, problems, fatal problems with their or internal organs and uh, we will save their brain, we will uh, save their personality, we will save them for their relatives, uh, we will have them in our life. Imagine if uh, some uh, genius people like Einstein, like Leonardo yeah. da Vinci, like Leo Tolstoy, uh, continued living, continued being with us, how many uh, genius inventions uh, would have happened in this case. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think uh, the one of the goals for me is to explain people, to uh, show them that it's not dangerous, it's not uh, for bad, it's not for military purposes, it's uh, for helping them and their relatives, their friends, uh, stay with us longer. To give them, you know, to give them an option, we have to go uh, to give uh, people an option of living longer and increasing their longe longevity, and not to leave this world. Dmitri, that that all sounds fantastic, especially because if I recall, when I was probably a very young child, I was reading Russian science fiction written by Alexander Vilayev, and there was one in particular called Professor Dowell's Head. And that story was written in the 1920s, and it was precisely about head transplantation and, mm. uh, you know, people using new bodies and so on. So all of that, which used to be totally science fiction, totally impossible. Now, as we've noticed already, Professor White and in, in, in Russia, people have made very substantial progress towards that goal. And the next step would be, of course, in humans. So... Mm. Uh, it's incredible how, you know, science moves from science fiction to reality in time. And perhaps the next step is even more fantastical, which is the third step of, of your project, Avatar. Why don't you tell us a little more about that? Uh, I would say that the uh, uh, third project of Avatar scheme is devoted to the uh, development of their uh, artificial brain. Uh, the means, uh, I mean, the idea uh, of the project is to uh, produce a reverse engineering for the brain. Uh -huh. But uh, I think that uh, there probably will appear uh, some different approaches to the problem because uh, what we need finally is to have an, uh, a machine uh, that will be able to hold our consciousness. So uh, some people say that uh, uh, inventing artificial brain is not feasible, but uh, uh, other scientists argue that uh, probably 100% copying the brain is not necessary. And it, it won't be necessary to copy you know, each neuron uh, to artificial one. Mm -hmm. So. I think that is also uh, very important to draw attention of uh, people that such pro project is feasible. And you know, uh, personally, I I'm aware of uh, more than 15 teams working on this uh, idea 
probably not uh, for the same uh, final purposes like I do, but uh, still interested in the in the brain modeling and still interested in understanding how brain works and how consciousness consciousness works. Uh, so I think to make our dream of uh, producing substrate uh, independent carrier of the consciousness um, will uh, be connected with their uh, providing such research with the real social uh, mandate. Uh, so that's why I suggest uh, doing uh, developing such project in their avatar scheme. Like I think it's very consequent to after producing avatar A and avatar B to uh, develop real artificial brain, non-biological brain that will make our body uh, completely new. I mean, uh, that will uh, allow us to be more advanced creatures, you know, to evolve uh, uh, further, to make this evolution control, to to be able to live further without uh, those uh, resources that are required for our biological body and to live underwater, to live in outer space, not to be dependent on food, uh, uh, the temperature. Mm -hmm. So so I recently interviewed uh, Dr. Rando Kuna, who uh, on Singularity One-on-One -on -one said that mind uploading is not science fiction anymore. Uh, in support of what you just said. But on the flip side of the coin, the skeptics would say, well, Dmitri, the more further away in time you go, Project A, Pro Avatar A, B, and the third step C, the more fantastical and impossible it starts to sound. And of course, the further away we go in time, the harder it is to predict what will or could happen. So what do you say to skeptics who say that there is no hard evidence to believe that your project is feasible at all? You know, I would uh, uh, probably give them uh, an example of uh, uh, famous, another famous Russian, uh, another famous writer, which was uh, Arthur Clark, mm -hmm. who also described the situation uh, when human's uh, uh, brain uh, was uh, uh, transplanted to a kind of heart artificial body. I mean, his uh, story, a meeting with Medusa, where uh, their main character visited uh, Jupiter, and in the end of the story we found out that uh, uh, that happened thanks to, the, to his art artificial body and uh, to his biological brain, which actually was uh, uh, transplanted. And uh, uh, I would I mentioned Arthur Clarke because uh, uh, he actually gave uh, uh, the three stages of any new and bold idea. Uh, and first uh, stage was uh, that uh, people find uh, found any such idea crazy and. Uh, say that uh, it said that uh, the idea was not feasible. Uh, the next stage uh, 
was that uh, every uh, such idea was uh, feasible but was not worth doing. And the third stage was, uh, like everybody said, that uh, always believed in, in such idea. So I think that it's, uh, it was good mentioning that uh, science fiction and uh, uh, those people like uh, Belayev and like Clark yeah. uh, really uh, inspire, inspired us and science for moving further uh, to our future. And um, to those uh, people who show skeptical uh, attitude, uh, I would uh, say that uh, it's uh, a kind of fear, you know, a kind of shock, uh, of future shock, like Alvin uh, uh, Toffler yeah. showed in his book. Yeah. I would say that we have to think more of uh, the benefits of such technologies for the humanity. And uh, with, uh, I think that we should be more you know, free. We should dream more. And uh, thanks to that, uh, all our good dreams, uh, good uh, expectations for the future will come true. And uh, as to science, it always, uh, during the whole history of the humanity, it always produced something uh, which was uh, unfeasible before they, uh, the science always did it feasible, you know, like uh, flying jets, like uh, mm-hmm. cybernetic uh, medicine, I mean, artificial vision for people, yeah. like, uh, limbs, uh, more, even cell phones, you know, they were completely un- unfeasible. Yeah, and of course, Arthur Clarke is famous for predicting the first geostationary satellites years, decades before they actually became reality. And 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 I personally grew up with Alexander Belayev and his Amphibian Men book and all the other short stories, which were fantastic, and I, I believe are sh- slowly coming to reality one step at a time. Uh, but let's let's move to the next uh, very important dimension of your work um, and uh, perhaps uh, future result of, of of or goal of the uh, the conference, uh, and that is the UN resolution that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about what the goal is, what the resolution intends to accomplish, and how far have you come so far? I'm sorry, I wouldn't like to disclose everything before. Uh, the, re- the resolution, the draft will be completely supported by the speakers. But I would say that uh, the main points of the resolution are is that uh, are that uh, humanity now faces the series of crises. Uh, the second point is that we have to do something. We have to develop a new strategy to overcome those crises. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we give some recommendations. We uh, stress some some directions in scientific research, mm-hmm. some ethical uh, points. We are pretty sure that uh, the discussion about the future of humanity is uh, needed and uh, we are at the moment when uh, such discussion has, always, has also uh, to be initiated through their 
leaders of uh, the governments and through such big organizations like United Nations. That, that's why we initially planned to send our paper to the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you, both of those projects... Uh, even uh, the United Nations resolution, but especially the the project avatar that you described, are very substantial, very expensive undertakings. So uh, what about the resources that uh, you need to or that you have acquired in order to push forward? I mean, as we mentioned, the Pentagon has put forward $7 million. How are you guys in terms of resources? Where do you get them from? Uh, you know, as I see the situation, as the Pentagon, they declare such small amount. I, I mean, uh, I mean, seven million dollars is not a big amount for such a project. They declare such a small amount because uh, I think they are going to spend this money to bring computer into it because actually they already have Batman, they have Big Dog, and yeah. They, already invested large amounts of money in such projects. As I know, Big Dog, for example, cost $300 million. So to make our dream, our avatar dream come true, we probably need billions. And uh, probably this money should not only uh, come from private sector, but also from governments to make this... uh, happen, to let this happen. We have to draw attention of presidents of developed countries that uh, uh, we should explain that, that those te- technologies are uh, very humanitarian, that they can help people and then, then they even will be possible in the future. They, in the future, they even will help those, I mean, leaders to, to plan the strategy uh, for their society mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's so, uh, innovations will play great great role in the future i think like internet does now so you think that the funding should be a mixture of private and public perhaps governmental or international governmental organizations such as the united nations specific governments private donors i think that uh, uh, it should be a kind of mix of course but uh, also governmental uh, funding will play a great role because we have to make these uh, technologies open. We have to public everything uh, as soon as uh, uh, it, it, uh, it is developed. You know? uh, because uh, I think that we have to make our priority on the development, not making business on such technologies. Mm-hmm. We um, continue uh, investments uh, from the business point of view. We will will have to close everything, you know, to save everything, to uh, get our money back and earn something. But uh, in case we connect governments, there will be more opportunities to uh, do everything non-profitable. And to, uh, to boost the technologies. And that is the only way how we can go through their time avatar time frame uh, and uh, how can we how we can make it real 
And how are you uh, able to fund so far your, your, your projects? Because you have very specific timeline and benchmarks that you're intending to accomplish, uh, Avatar A, B, and so on. So do you have funding attached to those uh, steps already, or are you working on it? You know, I'm already, uh, I already have a few commitments uh, for the project with uh, wide big businessmen that are really interested and uh, uh, they are interested not in making money, they are interested in doing something good. And of course, uh, I so far spent my personal money and I'm going to invest uh, as much as I can in this project because it is my dream, it is my mission. You've mentioned the ethical implications uh, of the work that you do, but there's also religious implications, I think. Now, I suspect that, just like me, you are also Eastern Orthodox by birth, or Russian Orthodox in your case. Um, but by conviction, I'd like to, to, to make it clear, are you religious yourself? And what would be the religious impact if that project becomes a reality, in your opinion? You know, uh, the question that you are asking is very pressing for me uh, because uh, I wouldn't say I'm a very religious person, but the question of uh, internal spiritual seek is uh, very important for me. And uh, it was uh, also the thing that inspired the project because uh, understanding of uh, how Consciousness works, uh, works is very closely connected to some spiritual questions that uh, people face uh, in their lives. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would say that uh, it is very important to initiate a kind of dialogue between the representatives of different spiritual traditions. And uh, that was uh, that I did during the Congress, during the Global Future 2045, because we had uh, uh, during our event the representative of Buddhist tradition, of Hindu tradition, and yoga master, the representative of Orthodox Church, and the teacher of Taoism. So there was a mm -hmm. round table during the Congress. I, I'm going to publish it soon. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that the dialogue between the representatives of the traditions has started. Mm -hmm. What I suppose necessary, uh, what I think is uh, very important for us is to uh, stop separating science and religion and try to unite even those people and to develop our new paradigm uh, with the, the help of that experience that definitely those uh, spiritual people have. So as I understand it, you are promoting an interfaith dialogue with respect to the project. Of course, yes. And, it, and its implications. So do you think uh, that if the project becomes a reality and say we have mind uploading as a fact, mm -hmm. do you think mm -hmm. that would impact the religiosity of people? Wouldn't it in a way undermine the foundations of traditional religions such as Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and so on? I know that for a fact that, for example, the Dalai Lama has absolutely no problem with uh, the merger between men and machine, with mind uploading and things like that. But the, the other major religions, I, I think, would have more of a, a knee-jerk reaction, perhaps. 
I would say that this question is very se uh, sensible. Uh, I think uh, that we should go further very carefully because uh, what we should to do is to respect all their traditions, you know, to respect all their experience that uh, traditions have. We shouldn't hurt people by invading uh, this field uh, in, such, in, in a kind of uh, improper way. We have to initiate their discussion. We have to ask for their pieces of advice. But we uh, shouldn't allow uh, any kind of uh, rough critics to stop the science. Mm -hmm. The science should continue uh, going further. Uh, the science should uh, help people. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes science also uh, does something wrong, right? Like uh, sometimes it serves for military purposes. Mm -hmm. But what we need is uh, humanitarian purposes. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely think that those people from different spiritual traditions will help us uh, to move further properly. They are definitely able uh, to give us good uh, pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good time to bring scientists and spiritual people together and to try to do something together and to develop really a new paradigm, but with the respect with all ancient traditions and uh, with the idea of saving them. We, we don't have to, to neglect them and to try to do something new that will uh, eliminate uh, those traditions. Mm -hmm. and, and my feeling, the feeling that I get is that you have a sort of a very respectful, very tolerant approach uh, towards bringing that dialogue together at the same time while not sacrificing the integrity of science, which is a very tricky balance and it's very commendable, so I, I really appreciate that. Um, Dmitry, the second last question that I always ask of my guests is, where can people go and find out more about the work that you do? I should mention that there is a, a Congress website, which is jeff2045.com, and uh, uh, you should go to that site to get the information about the Congress and uh, also about the next Congress, which is... Uh, going to be in New York next year, I suppose in April. Uh, and uh, as to all information connected to the 2045 research and uh, to our ideas uh, connected to avatar scheme and project, uh, I should say that it is 2045.com, which is not actually full now uh, because uh, the project has started uh, in Russia, uh -huh. uh, but uh, the site is growing and there will be a lot more information in it in the next few months. Um, let me ask you this then, which is perhaps the most important question of our interview today. Do you have a single message, the most important thing that you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from this interview with you today? You know, uh, Nikola, that's you know that's a good interesting question because uh, such uh, an idea cannot be easily put inside one uh, short message. In general, uh, I would say that uh, it is high time for people to think 
about further evolving, about understanding who uh, are they, uh, where, uh, which is uh, their place in the universe, develop new paradigm, further evolution of the humanity. Mm-hmm. That's 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 fantastic, and that kind of connects to the sort of ever-present search of humanity, ever dating back from, say, the, the ancient Greeks who wrote on the temple of Delphi, "Know thyself." Uh, so, know thyself, know yourself, know who you are, and and try and find out your place in in this cosmos. Uh, and and that's also, by the way, the reason why I call myself Socrates, because I'm kind of looking to discover for myself the answers to those ever-present questions um, that all of us face, at, both at the personal level as individuals and at the collective level as, as humans. Um, so with that, uh, I'd like to say, Mitri Iskov, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Nicola. Yeah.